Our reading today comes from Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 50. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Are you guys ready to dig in this super loving and warm scripture? Did anybody else get a little nervous or uncomfortable uh, when they heard what Michelle just read out loud? Right? I feel that. When I came across this text, my immediate thought was, I'm not touching that. (laughs) Uh, Demons, harsh images of limbs, eyeballs being ripped out, unquenchable fire. No, I'm good. (laughs) But I kept going back to it, and I thought, if at first glance this text is bothering me so much, this is probably the text I should preach on and dig deeper into. And what I have found, spoiler alert, is it's actually... Sorry, I should probably take this off, right? It's actually hopeful and really encouraging Maybe, perhaps, we could even call it the good news. Um, One note we should uh, take uh, before we dive into our text is I wanted to pick a point um, earlier in the chapter, verses 14 through 29. Um, We see that there is a spirit of a boy that prevented him from being able to speak. And his father asked Jesus to heal him. Because when they asked the disciples to do it, they weren't able to take care of it. And after Jesus heals the boy, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't I do it? And Jesus responds with, this kind can only come through prayer. So just remember that as we dig into our text. Got it? Yes? Okay. Not hypotheticals. Like, if I ask a question, like, it's real. Like, I want to hear you. Um, so our text starts in verse 38. We see John 
one of Jesus' disciples, not only a part of the 12, but he's in that inner circle. Um, He is close with Jesus. He's traveled with Jesus on several occasions throughout the Gospels. And John says to Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Okay, so a lot is happening in that one statement. John is revealing a lot about his character right now. Um, When I was first imagining this taking place in my mind, I imagined a little, like, child tattling. Um, And it's okay when a child does it. Uh, We teach children if someone is doing something bad they're not supposed to be doing, you know, we tell them, like, let a grown-up know. But when an adult does it, it kind of rubs you a bit differently when you know that that other person probably isn't doing anything that bad. So it kind of makes you wonder, what are the motives going on here? Um, Was John trying to make himself look better? Was he trying to get a reward? Is he a bit jealous that this other person was able to cast out the spirits, but he wasn't able to? Uh, like remember the boy that was unable to speak and, and John you know, was asked to cast it out but couldn't. So does he feel like, oh, well, if I can't do it, why does someone else get to do it? That's not Jesus. But the most important word that he said in that whole statement is us. He was not following us. John has, without any authority, put himself on the same level as Jesus. Interesting, and I wonder how he came to that conclusion. So Jesus being Jesus is realizing quickly they seem to be missing the mark on where their care and their focus should be. And Jesus says to them, don't forbid him, for there is no one who will do a mighty work in my name and be able to quickly speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is on our side. So, if I may, I would translate this to modern time. If I was someone like Jesus, I would say, dude, don't be drama right now. (laughs) He is doing good work. He is in line with my heart, and he's caring for people. Like, how can this be a bad thing? So, I am sure, I'm not sure why, actually, this is the case, But we, as people in general, too often go straight to condemning something that we don't understand. And I think we know logically that doesn't make sense. And when we see someone else doing it, we can easily call it out and easily notice, like, that's not okay. You shouldn't jump to those conclusions right away. Um, So why would the ways we understand God be so different? God is so much bigger than our understanding of who our creator is. The divine reveals itself to every person in such a unique way that it would be insane to think that any one person or any one church or any one community of people would have this monopoly in understanding who God is. It's critical to remember that truth is always bigger than what one person can grasp. No one can possibly know and be gifted in every single thing. 
And we can all admit that it would be a bit arrogant to believe that there is not truth outside our own knowledge and understanding of what truth is. Right? Make sense? Okay, makes sense to a couple of you, that's good. So now let's dig into some more of the kind of intense language I think that you guys were waiting more on, like, okay, yeah, I got that, like, let's talk about this other stuff. Um, you know, the cutting off limb stuff. So the key part in this whole section, the verses 42 through 48, right at the beginning, that's the most important part. You guys get so, we get so caught up in the, the negative stuff, but that most important part of the section is right at the beginning. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better if, fill in the blank of all the awful things. Now, this is serious. Like, Jesus is not messing around here. Like, these little ones are so important to Jesus that he then lists off things that would be fatal or at least painful. Um, and those things would be better to do than to mess with those little ones. So who are the little ones? Um, is this just kids? Um, is this anyone maybe like Bianca's height? You know, what is little ones? Um, kids are absolutely a part of this equation, but not limited to. Um, while I know my understanding of Jesus is limited, the one thing I can say with absolute certainty, which I know is a bold claim, but Jesus always was looking for the looking to protect the vulnerable. They were the dearest to him. And he always had their back. But who is the vulnerable? A lot of questions going on, right? The people who are not at equal footing. People who are not equal in the dominant society and culture. People that would be considered the powerless. These are the economically disadvantaged, these are children. Children don't really get a say much in our world. Uh, this is black communities. This is ethnic minorities, immigrants, regardless of legal status. This is elderly. This is the gay community. This is the trans community. These are people who are experiencing being houseless, people with chronic and severe mental um, health illnesses, to name a few. Not being a hindrance to the vulnerable, which would also include we need to call out the injustices we see when other ones are being harmful to these little ones in Jesus' name, especially in Jesus' name. And not getting hung up on the things that don't matter, like who is casting out the demons. These are the two main points that Jesus has put his focus on, on what matters and what doesn't matter. What is one of the best ways to get the point across to someone we don't feel like is paying attention to us or taking us at least very seriously? Well, one of the techniques is to totally shock them, not literally, but saying shocking things. I got one giggle, great. Um, maybe some something provocative or something controversial to wake them up a bit. Or you can take the Jesus route and say some pretty grotesque stuff. 
Jesus is not literally, hear me please, I wrote this in bold so you guys really understand this point. Jesus is not literally suggesting that we go and cut off limbs and eyeballs and of people who cause the little ones to stumble, but rather using exaggerated language to show the seriousness of this boundary and this line not to cross. Focusing on these little words are critical. It is better if not, it will happen to you, I'm going to take you there, I'm going to take you out myself if you do this. I definitely made the mistake when I first read this a couple times of like, oh, man, Jesus is so mean. But then I was reminded when I was um, sermon prepping that when scripture gets a bit confusing and doesn't make sense at times, we can always go back to remembering the heart of Jesus. And when you remember that and, and that lens and that focus, and you go back and read it, with that lens, it gives you a much more clear picture as to what is happening. It can change your perspective from feeling terrified and unloved to Jesus loves us so deeply that he is going to use some pretty radical, going to say some pretty radical stuff to prove a point on how much he deeply cares for the vulnerable. With the hope that we don't take these metaphors literally but still be taken very seriously. To cut off bad habits, resentments, bad ambitions, and to cause us to act unethically. So think of it this way. If a person has an addiction, they would cut off whatever that addiction is, along with certain associations with that addiction, so they don't fall into those bad habits again. In the way we need to cut off certain unhealthy mindsets, in the way we look at certain people who, so we don't create stumbling blocks for them. And just a brief note, just so I don't like pass over it, I don't think it's terribly important, but I just want to make a quick note that the part that talks about hell is referring to a literal place. Now, this part you can take literally. This is a literal place that the disciples were familiar with called Gehenna. And as another shock factor, the closest thing that they would have known as an actual hell and disciples would have context context in. It was a terrifying place, and that's what hell was for them. So please, please, please hear this. Even if you are not personally being the person who's putting out those stumbling blocks to the vulnerable, but if you are tolerating injustice of the little ones and not defending them, then you are also at fault in this because we're not protecting them. So we're not in the clear. We have some work to do. There's a lot of stumbling blocks out there for the vulnerable right now. And why we may not be able to clear every single one as individuals, where we can only do so much, as I said earlier, but we must try our dang hardest to clear out as many as we can, right? Yes. Thank you, Abigail. (laughs) Now, we just have these three references related to salt jumbled together. First, we have everyone will be salted with fire. 
So this reference is how both salt and fire are useful preserving meat. We see that in Leviticus. So now, when I hear we're all going into the fire, everyone's going to be held responsible for not being a stumbling block and putting out stumbling blocks for, that others have placed. The second reference to salt is salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? So salt is pure, and it works great for preserving things, but if you mix it with other things, regardless of how much salt is in it, it kind of has lost its purpose of being salt. So think of this analogy of, you know how when people get married, sometimes in the ceremony they will have two cups of salt and pour it together in, in one big cup, and then they do the spiel on how the grains can never be separated back into these individual cups. That's, think of it as the same way when salt is mixed, it can never be purely just salt again. So... Remember that analogy for literal grain purposes? I wasn't talking about marriage or anything. If that was a sensitive subject or anything. If someone did that in their ceremony, that's fine. Wasn't saying anything bad about it. It was just the literal grain purposes. Maybe a bad analogy, I'm sorry. It's what it came to my mind. And lastly, the third reference to salt is have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Have that pureness in yourself, but that's kind of hard to do when you're not at peace with one another. And it brings us back full circle to the beginning of the text, when John is tattling and telling Jesus what's happening, and Jesus is like, relax, chill. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is, is wrong that's happening in this situation, so just be at peace with him. In the beginning of our text, we're reminded to be at peace with one another, and at the end of the text, we're reminded of being at peace with one another and ourselves. And it's all intertwined, right? You can't fully be at peace inward if you have this disunity and bitterness and pride and envy and jealousy towards each other. And in the same way, if you're not able to find inner peace in yourself, that love and that compassion inwardly, you won't be able to authentically give it outwardly. And it occurred to me later when I was digging in and doing some sermon prep that this passage made me uncomfortable for another reason that I didn't already mention earlier that my conscious didn't notice, but my subconscious clearly noticed. And that is, to a degree, I see myself in John, and I hate it. Digging into this passage, I'm like, yeah, we're going to expose John and how wrong he is. And then, bam, how often do I look at the other, whoever that other is for you, and while I may not tattle on them per se, I definitely look at them like they have it wrong because they don't think like me. And even though some of them are doing incredible work in their communities and loving people well, but since we don't always come to the same conclusions, they're not at my level. And while I'm openly outing myself here in these thoughts, 
I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room or on our live stream that is guilty of doing this from time to time. But we thank God for grace, right? And while we now have a better sense that Jesus used exaggerated language to make a point, it became a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I hope for some of you as well. And if you can't identify with John, great. Please mentor me and teach me your ways. Because Yoda would be proud of you. It shows us as long as someone isn't endangering the vulnerable and they are taking care of people, even when it's not done in a way that you think it should look, then let it go. We have to acknowledge that we're on the same team, on the same boat. As long as we have the same goal in loving people and looking out for the most vulnerable, be at peace with them. Be at peace with your, the other. We cannot afford to not be in so many ways. There is much more at stake when we lose focus on the people that we're called to be. There's no rivalry in God, so don't lose your peace over something that's not very important at the end. Easier said than done. It definitely takes some work, but having peace with others ultimately gives us that inner peace and that salt, and that is worth it. Amen.